if there is anybody I haven't met yet. My name is Rod Henney, and I'll be bringing your... And the message today is Empowered Justice from Matthew 25, 31 to 46, um, as part of our series, More Love, More Power. And uh, as I get going on that, I'd like to uh, read a bit from a book a book titled Generous Justice by an author, Timothy Keller, who is a pastor in New York City. And uh, he, he starts out, uh, he, give, he tells this story, and I thought it was a good story to, to uh, pass on to you. He says, I recently met with Heather, a woman who attends my church in New York City. After graduating from Harvard Law School, she landed a lucrative job with a major law firm in Manhattan. It was a dream come true for most aspiring young professionals. She was a high-powered corporate lawyer. She was living the life in the big city. And yet it was all strangely unsatisfying. She wanted to make a difference in the lives of individuals, and she was concerned about those in society who could not afford the kind of fees her clients paid her firm. For a fraction of her former salary, she became an assistant district attorney for New York County where so many of the criminals she prosecutes are those who have been exploiting the poor, particularly poor women. Uh, Another individual he mentions is uh, that uh, when he was a professor at a a theological seminary, uh, one of his students was a young man named Mark. Uh, One day uh, they were standing at the corner, and Mark told him that he was about to move into Sandtown, one of the poorest and most dangerous neighborhoods in Baltimore. And he says, I remember being quite surprised when I asked him why. He said simply, to do justice. It had been decades since any white people had moved into Sandtown. For the first couple of years there, it was touch and go, Mark told the reporter. The police thought I was a drug dealer, and the drug dealers thought I was a police officer. (laughs) So for a while there, I didn't know who was going to shoot me first. (laughs) Yet over the years, Mark, along with leaders in the community, established a church and a comprehensive set of ministries that have slowly transformed the neighborhood. Although both Heather and Mark were living comfortable, safe lives, they became concerned about the most vulnerable, poor, and marginalized members of our society. And they made long-term personal sacrifices in order to serve their interests, needs, and cause. That is, according to the Bible, what it means to do justice. As we talk about this this morning, I'm not an expert. Uh, I don't have any uh, degree in, in uh, jurisprudence. Um, and there are others here, perhaps, who could tell you more about justice and have had greater practice at doing it. I'm approaching this as a learner, sharing with you what I have learned, and maybe we can grow together. As we learn of justice today, I'd like to have in mind, or I like guess to have in mind the narrative of Vineyard Church of San Antonio and consider how it relates. And uh, maybe we can read it together. We are part of God's great family, seeking to become like Jesus by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, to love God, to love one another, and to love his lost and hurting world. Before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we can gather together. Thank you for the worship that we have already had, how great you are. Thank you that we can uh, 
open up your word. Thank you that we can be your instruments of justice in this world uh, to, to those who need it the most. Thank you for being a just God to us, a merciful God to us. So we ask you to open up our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get into our main biblical text today, I want to give further biblical background to the concept of justice. What is doing justice, or what does it mean to do justice? We've already uh, listened to, or I've already uh, read a couple of uh, stories. In short, justice is care for the vulnerable. Micah 6.8 says that he has shown you, or O mortal, or you may have known it, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, Micah 6.8 is a summary of how God wants us to live, to walk humbly with God. Excuse me, to walk humbly with God is to know him intimately and to be attentive to what he desires and loves. And what does that consist of? Well, the text says to, to act justly and to love mercy, which seems at first glance to be two different things, but they're not. The term for mercy in Hebrew is the word chesed. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so uh, of course you'll never know the difference if I pronounce that wrong or right, will you? Uh, and that word means God can unconditional grace and compassion. The word for justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. And in Micah 6, 8, mishpat puts the emphasis on the action. Chesed puts it on the attitude or the motive behind the action. To walk with God, then, we must do justice out of merciful love. The word mishpat in its various forms occurs more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. So in Leviticus uh, 24-22, there is a warning to Israel to have the same mishpat or the same rule of law for the foreigner as the native. Mishpat means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status. Anyone who does the same, same wrong should be given the same penalty. But mishpat means more than just the punishment of wrongdoing. It also means to give people their rights. And Deuteronomy 18 directs that the priests of the tabernacle should be supported by a certain percentage of the people's income. This support is described as the priest's mishpat, which means their due or their right. And so in Proverbs 31.9, we read, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Mishpat then means then is giving people what they are due, whether it's punishment or protection or care. So you can get a picture of the all-encompassing nature of biblical justice. Whenever you see it implied in the Old Testament, several classes of people continually come up. Mishpat describes taking up the care and cause of widows, orphans, immigrants, or often called aliens in the Bible, translated aliens, and the poor. So in Zechariah 7, 9 to 10, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. These are the people who had no status or power and were most vulnerable 
to starvation. If there was a famine or if there was a war, those would be the people who would tend to go first or suffer first. And today we might include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, even some single parents and the elderly. So the mishpat or the justness of a society, according to the Bible, is evaluated by how it treats these groups. Any neglect shown to the needs of the members of any of these groups is not called merely a lack of mercy or a lack of charity, but a violation of justice of of God's mishpat. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power. And that's what he wants of us, too. And that's what it means to do justice. We should be concerned about the vulnerable because God is concerned about them and care for them is actually a reflection of God's character. In Psalm 146, 7 through 9, it states, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord lifts, excuse me, the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And again in Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So God is described as being a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He identifies with the powerless and takes up their cause. And this was in contrast to the gods of the ancient world where gods were usually identified with the powerful, with the elites of society, to kings, priests, military captains. Each one would have a god on their side as they went into war or, or whatever they did. But, but the God of Israel showed himself different in that he identified with, with those who were, who were least, those who were poor. God is a defender of the poor. While God commands justice for all, he is a defender of the poor. And why is that? Well, if you think about it, because although everyone, even the rich, can be treated unjustly, the poor are usually disproportionately vulnerable to injustice and being taken advantage of and disproportionately actual victims of injustice. They have no money or social status to defend themselves. They can't afford the best legal counsel. They're often victims of, uh, or often the victims of robbery. And sometimes law enforcement is much quicker and more thorough in its response to violence against the rich and powerful than against the poor. So God gives them particular attention and has a special place in his heart for them. And so we read in Proverbs 31, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. If God's character includes a zeal for justice that leads him to have the tenderest love and closest involvement with the socially weak, then what should God's people be like? They must also be people who are likewise passionately concerned for the weak and the vulnerable. 
even in the, the worship of Israel, God injected his concern for justice into the heart, into their liturgy. Uh, in Deuteronomy 27, there's a, a listing, a, an example of the, the liturgy that they, that they had when, uh, when they would gather to worship. And, and part of this one section of liturgy is, is a list of, of curses, actually, saying curse is anyone who does this or that and the other thing. And, uh, and the one that I want to call out this morning is in verse 19 of uh, verse 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people say, Amen. <laughs> it's interesting that, those, that, curse, that, those list, that list of curses is, is listed amongst others. I didn't put the whole thing up there, but it's listed amongst other curses against you know, inappropriate relationships, whether it would be sexual relationships or um, other types of injustices that are mentioned. Uh, this, one is, uh, this one is listed right in there with it, indicating its importance. And by creating a culture of justice for the poor and vulnerable, Israel would reveal God's glory and character to the world. In Deuteronomy 4, uh, we read about this witness that they are to be. It says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show you wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So there, again, we see the witnessing aspect of, of, of being obedient to God and, and showing that they are just in their, in their dealings with, with one another. There's one more aspect to justice that I want to mention, is that justice is right relationships. Um, there's another biblical word, Again, we can agree to a, to a pronunciation, which I pronounce as tzadikah. Uh, that can be translated as being just, although it's often or usually translated as being righteous. When you see the word righteous or righteousness in the, in the Bible, it refers to a life of right relationships. So the righteous can be described as those who are right with God and are therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. Uh, when most people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they think think it in terms of private morality, such as sexual morality, um, diligence in prayer, um, diligence in Bible study. And all those things are involved. But the Bible, but in the Bible, this word sadaka refers to day-to-day living, in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. And uh, in his book, um, he goes on to, uh, to describe that these two words, these two words for justice, this mishpat and um, tzadikah, these two words roughly correspond to what some have called primary and rectifying justice. 
Rectifying justice is mishpat. It means punishing wrongdoers and caring for the victims of unjust treatment. Primary justice, or tzadika, is behavior that, if it was prevalent in the world, would render rectifying justice unnecessary because everyone would be living in right relationship to everyone else. Therefore, though tzadika is primarily about being in a right relationship with God, the righteous life that results is profoundly social. You know, there's so much more that could be said uh, regarding the basis for justice and how it plays out in the biblical record and in the life life and ministry of Jesus, as well as the history of the church. Uh, There is continuity in the New Testament with some of these biblical standards that uh, we've read about in the Old Testament. But to cover all of that would take more time than we have this morning. Um, If you want to know more, I would suggest getting that book, Generous Justice by Timothy Keller. I found it to be very helpful in gaining an understanding. Uh, But I think we've seen enough to set the stage now to look at our passage this morning, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. It's there that I want to spend the remainder of our time. Instead of me reading that, why don't we go ahead and uh, read that together? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay, well, this, this passage brings Jesus into the picture. And the setting is a future time. The Son of Man, who is Jesus' common reference for himself, has come. And this time, not as a humble servant 
born in a manger, but as king, the king of kings. The kingdom of God is here now, we believe, but not fully realized. This passage reflects when Jesus will come and the kingdom of God will be inaugurated in full force. People from all nations will be gathered before him and he will sort them out, the passage says, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And I guess you kind of get the idea that goats were liked and, and, excuse me, sheep were liked and goats were not. Um, That's the understanding. So in uh, verse 34, it says that the king speaks to the sheep on his right. And he says, come. The word is come. You who are blessed by my father. And he tells them, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So this was pre-planned. He knew it would end this way. He knew there would be a time when he would give his people their inheritance. And why does he give them their inheritance? He said, you cared for me. You saved my life. Just paraphrasing here. You fed me. and You gave me water when I was ne- nearly starving and dying of thirst. You sacrificed your time for me. You protected me. You were generous toward me. In other words, they practiced justice out of merciful love. Well, the sheep's response is one of surprise, shock. And I can imagine them turning to one another, looking at each other as, when did you see him? Oh, I didn't see him. Did you see him? No. I remember helping people. I remember ministering to people. But Jesus? Really? They're they're shocked that, that he says, when you... Uh, in in uh, verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Who are the least of these brothers and sisters of mine that Jesus is talking about? Get into a little bit about about this passage. I didn't realize this when I started preparing for this, and it was it was uh, quite a uh, quite an obstacle for me to, to uh, get over. But I had but I but I did it. Um, um, there have been various interpretations regarding who the least of these are. Some say it, it just refers to Israel. Some say it's just it's just Christians because he uses the word brothers and sisters. Um, and some say it's it's everyone, believers and unbelievers. Well, in light of the background that we've just gone over from the Old Testament, and in light of God's concern not only for His people, but also the alien, the stranger, and the foreigner. And keeping in mind Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, where if you recall, Jesus makes the point that one's neighbor is one you may not expect. It seems best not to limit who Jesus is speaking of here. The New Testament letters talk about clearly about taking care of those in the household of faith. Take care of family first. But they also exhort believers to have care and concern for the unbelievers around them. And the early church did indeed demonstrate that, practiced it regularly, and they were noted for that. Someone has said, while I was looking at this passage, someone has said that if we try to discern too closely those to whom we should be doing good, we may be engaging in goat-like behavior. (laughs) 
and I don't want to go there. Uh, better to err on the side of generosity, I think. And be, I, I, I would much rather have God tell me that I was too generous <laughs> than, than, than not, to, not to have been generous in my care of others. But also this passage, again, points out that Jesus, like God the Father, like the God revealed in the Old Testament, Jesus himself identifies with the vulnerable. Love and care shown to them is love and care shown to him. So then he turns to those on his left, the goats. Verses 41 to 43. And notice the contrast. Instead of come, they hear the word depart. Instead of being called blessed, they are called cursed. Similar to those in that liturgy we just read. Instead of receiving an inheritance prepared for them, they receive eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never intended for them. The king wanted better for them, but they refused. So they received the devil's inheritance, not the one they could have had. And again, why? You didn't care for me. You didn't save my life. You didn't feed me. You didn't give me water when I was starving and dying of thirst. You didn't sacrifice your time for me. You didn't protect me. You weren't generous toward me. And and the ghost response is similar to that of the sheep. When did we see you? Did you you remember seeing him? I mean, quite honestly, I never cared a whole lot for people, and I never really cared much to to help people. But but gee, I never I never remember. Seeing Jesus, like, surely if I would have known Jesus was there, I would have done something. <laughs> well, again, the king's response in verse 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So these did not practice justice out of merciful love like the sheep did. And then we see the result the result of, of, of uh, rejection of God's best for them, the eternal punishment for the goats, the unrighteous, the unjust, and eternal life for the righteous, the just. So is this teaching that salvation is by works? I don't believe it is. I think the scripture uh, is clear otherwise. In other places, it is by faith. But true faith is demonstrated in works of righteousness, works of justice. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of obedience. And as we've seen, it's part of loving Jesus. And I'm thankful for the ministries that this church supports and some of you are involved in or and that we're giving to and supporting in various ways, whether it's actually doing the work ourselves or 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 uh, giving money to see that it gets done by others. Uh, the ministries uh, of doing justice, Samaritan's Purse, we just saw, uh, saw that so clearly, ministering to those who are, who are the vulnerable. They do other things too, such as assist the refugees and other, and other, other works as well. Um, I think of Little Flock Children's Home in India, the ministry expressing God's heart to hurting orphan children. 
Dave Osborne in Kenya ministering to children on the streets, many of whom are abandoned or orphaned and, and often addicted. Andrew and Nikki Wong, who came out, went out from us here and are now living in the inner city of L.A., ministering, to God, ministering God's love and justice to the community they, they live in. And in today's bulletin, we highlight, I see highlighted was, uh, was the organization Charity Water, which provides clean drinking water to those who need it. And there are others. And I'm sure I left some, something or someone out. All this is not intended. I don't want the takeaway to this message to be a guilt trip. But it's an encouragement to all of you as God's beloved sheep. That's what you are. And we're empowered to do God's will, to do what he wants. Again, again, to read uh, our purpose statement, we're part of God's great family, seeking to become like Jesus by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, to love God, to love one another, and to love his lost and hurting world. And I would ask that you would join me and seeking the Lord's guidance and how that applies to each of us, how it applies to this church as a whole. There are many ways to serve. You just need to know how God wants us each to do it. I'm going to pray, and uh, afterwards, uh, anyone who needs to come up for prayer for any reason whatsoever, please come up, those who... um, would like to minister in the, in the way of prayer, please come up as well. Father, thank you again for this time of uh, looking into your heart, uh, your heart for justice. And there's more that could be said, and, and I trust that you'll magnify uh, those things in our hearts that are important to us wherever we need to latch on to, uh, that you would give us joy as we consider how we can provide merciful love, merciful love and justice to others, to those among us in our own body as well as those outside, that those that the world may know that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Come up for prayer. Go get your kids, whatever you need to do. We are dismissed.